Hello and welcome to episode 72 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Niegebauer, coming to you on this February 4th, 2021. It's also the Thursday after the fourth Sunday of Epiphany, if you're counting. I know that because I'm preaching this coming Sunday, and that is the fifth Sunday of Epiphany, or after Epiphany, depending on what you prefer. Speaking of this coming Sunday, uh, February 7th, is the first annual Star Wars podcast day, and as, of course, I will be participating Thank you for coming and visiting me already. If you are checking this out because of that publicity, I definitely appreciate it. it the Star Wars Podcast Day celebrating the, fir- the, uh, the 22nd, I believe, anniversary of uh, the first ever Star Wars podcast that came out in anticipation of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Way back in 1999, I would actually be recording anything on Sunday. I'll be a little busy. But the uh, the following Thursday episode uh, will be thankfully be highlighted as part of the great festivities. Last I checked, he wanted to get 77 podcasts on. I'm sure there's well over 100 now. It's going to be a great fun time. Next Thursday will be on uh, will be the first installment of my commentary series on Claudia Gray's Into the Dark, and uh, definitely excited to dig into that. I did get my hands on a copy, but haven't cracked that cover yet just because uh took a bit of time getting light of the jedi and finishing light of the jedi which we are going to be talking about tonight and the second installment of my commentary on charles Soule's intro book to the high republic before we dive into that i do want to highlight on the pull list the uh yeah afra comic not the afra comic sorry um bounty hunters <laughs> that's what it's called. See, that's the thing about this comic. I, I've not slept on it. I, I have, I've been hit or miss on this book. Underworld does need to do a lot more to grab me, and Afra has done a great job of grabbing me. But Bounty Hunters, cool, getting a getting a score, whatever the the politics between the uh, the rival gangs, rival syndicates has been a little interesting and. Of course, this this kid caught in the middle. That's been okay. Violet Valance is a character I'm kind of hit or miss on. I don't mind him. Uh, just gruff ex-imperial cyborg who hates droids. It's okay. It, it was okay. And the, the whole kerfuffle about the portrayal of Boba Fett in contrast to the amazing portrayal by Timura Morrison in The Mandalorian written uh, from... A vantage point later on in his life, but a little post-Sarlacc pit. This latest issue, it's starting to grab me a little more. I wonder if that's just a matter of, I'm thinking of dropping it, and so it starts to grab me. I start to look and see what I might find interesting there. What I think is going to benefit this book going forward is if they continue to explore connections between Violet Valance and the Rebel Alliance. He's sort of in cahoots with them a little bit. That's actually been a theme in Star Wars since the very beginning, right? Lando and Han finding their place, even if they're scum and villainy, they're actually finding their place in serving the light that is the Rebel Alliance and actually caring about people beyond themselves. Uh, the way, the way the, in the New Hope certain point of view that Lando's story describes it as finding an angle, finding Han's angle. 
and the angle happens to be uh, caring for the wider galaxy as a whole. So that'll that'll be interesting. It, it gives more weight to what's happening in the underworld, and it makes me think of uh, the the first Timothy Zahn trilogy, how the first Thrawn trilogy from the early '90s, and I've I admit I've only read the graphic novel version. I have the actual novels, but uh, there there is this uh, college or, or band of bounty hunters, the Bounty Hunters Guild, I should say, and they actually end up teaming up with the New Republic. Sort of what happens a little bit with Din and Cara Dune, a little bit, but uh, in a much larger context. Maybe that just just a a side thought, you know that that it might be an inspiration as the the conflict with Thrawn grows. Clearly, the New Republic has interest in stopping Thrawn. So does Ahsoka. It is Cara Dune going to be, or maybe not Cara Dune anymore? Who knows? The Rangers of the New Republic are they going to be uh, this outer rim? envoy to the bounty hunters guild to say this is a mutual threat we need to stop so things that could be even set up in this bounty hunters comic i don't know if they're going to go there i don't know if they're going to be frankly it, it isn't hasn't been presented as an, a smarter intelligent enough book the way the way afra is i know it sounds kind of harsh but that's my take that's my pull list take um I do have coming up Engine Ward. It's coming up and uh, this coming sun, coming Wednesday. Or sorry, came out yesterday. I'll be reading it on Monday. Uh, the indie comic that I'm reading and also uh, both High Republic number two and High Republic Adventures number one. And I believe, speaking of Charles Sewell, the ongoing comic, uh, the next installment of that has come out. So uh, should be... Lots to chew on uh, next week on the pull list. Okay. So, Light of the Jedi, part two. And this is is going to cover parts two and three of the book. But uh, I'm going to give my overall story review and then delve into a few themes that I do want to give my thoughts on. As a story, I think it was very exciting and very engaging. Charles Soule is definitely... Uh, a master at pacing and drawing action and writing action. You know, for someone we know as a comic author, uh, this is a very different medium. The action was very easy to follow. I did notice, I think I mentioned this last time, the style of writing, depending on who the character is, if it's a Jedi or if it's a kid or <laughs> if it's the Chancellor very very different very varied and that provided some some interesting contrast i was able to follow all the different storylines going on that was well written there the the conflict with uh admiral cornara and the cur nebula and the trap uh, that mark Rose sets for them uh, or, or at least set, sets for kassav really uh, I found that pretty engaging, pretty exciting. Uh, and Markian Rose especially looks like a, a very well-written, well-thought-out villain. We see this is, in a way, his origin story. And 
that I wasn't expecting that. We weren't expecting uh, the the villain would have kind of a hero's journey. It almost it wasn't at maybe the height of Thanos in Infinity War, but definitely we see the transformation from someone who is at the behest of the Tempest Runners and is owned by or rented out by the Tempest Runners to someone who takes charge of the Nihil and does so in very clear, calculating ways, both with Kasav and we'll also see with Loden. The stuff on Alfrona was a bit hard to get to. I love Loden. I love Bell. They're well-written characters and the the, the crew that's there on Alfrona, which, by the way, we saw in Charles Soule's Rise of Kylo Ren comic. That's in a side. What I did find was hard to get back to that action and say, okay, we're, we're going back here when this other exciting things are happening, interesting things happening on Coruscant, which I'll definitely talk about in a bit. It felt, the Alfrona stuff, and it felt, bear with me, it felt like filler for a little bit. And then I say that immediately think, okay, but this is Star Wars. <laughs> this is uh, the type of pacing that someone like Dave Filoni has mastered, not in a novel form, in, in an animated show. Uh, in two animated shows, well, yeah, really two animated shows that he was directly in charge of. And in all of those stories, there was no filler. And this is an old debate now. And I even feel kind of dirty using the word, <laughs> using the F word on uh, on a review here. But I, I had the thought of, okay, this is Star Wars. This is Charles Sewell. He knows how to build up a story. There's going to be a payoff. There's going to be a reason this storyline exists in this novel, even if it's kind of hard to see. It felt like a little bit of a too small of a story for the moment, in the moment when the bigger story was happening. Now, that's a funny thing. I, I mentioned that because people have, have thought, oh, but that takes place within a, within a few hours and the, the wider storyline takes place over a few weeks. And yet it's chopped up and we only see the end of the Alfrona story shortly around the time we see the end of the uh, the wider, the Kernebula uh, Outer Rim story, Starlight Beacon story. And yet I actually didn't worry about that. It, it kind of had the illusion that it was all happening at the same time because the implications of it do. Right? That time in that time relationship it's not like there's some alternate weird timeline thing happening like with Dagobah or who knows what or, or Morbus but the 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 payoff especially of primarily of loading getting captured and that's uh, the long-term payoff uh, of the Alphona story uh, that fit really well with everything else that happens, especially with Mark Monroe and his ascendancy as the eye of the Nihil, Nihil, and not just as the eye traditionally, but the one in charge. So that, that was one payoff. And that's the thing is there's another payoff and 
here I go into talking about the themes of this book and the payoff of Bell learning to actually fall and uh, learning to tap into the force in order to to stay his uh, his fall and not actually crash and save this kid that Nile has been. Um, I, I won't go into how how about the the Nile are trying to hurt harm this kid and so Bell is able to save her. What is fascinating there is it comes right before my favorite scene in and certainly in this book is a Jedi Council scene. If there is anything that FCSA exists for, it's that scene right there. Because so just to recap, uh, General or Admiral Coronara Coronara wants to take a task force to elude the Kerr Nebula. Yeah, this is the, setting up the Kerr Nebula storyline. He wants to take a task force and hunt down what he believes is the Nihil Force. And uh, there's the question, and they have to actually pose the question, which is interesting. Are the Jedi going to join this task force? Because the way the galaxy is set up at the, the time, yes, there's the Republic Defense Coalition that, uh, you know, the Admiralty can trigger this treaty that this the Republic has a defense force, but it's a conf- uh, almost a, a Confederate defense force. I don't mean the Confederate States of America. I do not mean that. I mean, it's a confederacy of different planets coming together, delegating their defense to this defense force. Anyway. Uh, there isn't a standing army. There won't be a standing army until the Clone Wars. What's fascinating is again this question of will the Jedi join up in this this fight, and they actually have to have this really deep debate because it seems like they haven't done that. They haven't done that for a while, for a long time, and incredibly fascinating moment that they have to appeal to history. They have to appeal to what has come before and what has come, you know, what, how they've been involved in the past, uh, what's at risk for them and uh, what are the needs of the present moment. And it really uh, meditates on the theme of discernment. And the question of what is the will of the force? There's a, an amazing, fascinating line by uh, the the Jedi who is most likely going to be tasked with going out and uh, leading this this well, I guess commanding the one ship, but with they'll have vectors and they'll have other other craft that they can deploy from that ship. Anyway, and she makes this amazingly arrogant statement that I am the Jedi and uh, if I discern what this is then what what is the right action then that must be what the light side is saying and I thought immediately of Luke saying uh, if the, uh, the the light does not belong to the Jedi the Je- if the Jedi dies the light dies is vanity we already see, and, and it isn't interrogated, it isn't questioned, 
in this novel. It's interrogated in question in Last Jedi <laughs> throughout. But we, we see being set up for failure, this moment of arrogance being set up for failure. The thing is, that's all they have to go on in that moment. They go back and they think of how they've gotten to this point and use tradition as a guide and say, okay, well, here's how we've been involved. Jedi have been only, you know, uh, only a certain size before. Maybe we will be again. And it's, what's fascinating is it's very much what churches have to grapple with all the time especially in the last hundred years. It made me think very much of, of the Second Vatican Council in a lot of different ways, in the opposite way, in that at Vatican II, there was much much more of a, a call for the church to discern what it means for it to be part of emerging peace movements. And that was you know, St. John XXIII's big initiative, one of his big initiatives, and Paul VI as well. But it was still a question of, do we hunker down and stay closed in, or do we step forward and embrace the needs of uh, of the galaxy in front of us? And uh, you know, it's a question of, can they change? Can they adapt? So there's multiple things going on there then. There's the arrogance of saying, I'm the Jedi, we, we are the Jedi, we own the light, but also times change and circumstances change and so let's actually step out and see what's uh, see what the rest of the galaxy actually needs maybe there's another parallel there that maybe charles soul himself was thinking about in terms of uh, the united states entering world war ii it took pearl harbor for that to happen and you know, ultimately they did and it, you know that was I mean, at least the way we hear the history, we read the history that when that happened, that was decisive for the Allies. It's not the same way, and that the rest of the history isn't the same in terms of, first of all, the way the church has gone. You know, we can't say for certain if this church thing is going to stay the same, or 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 not stay the same, but. I guess what's the goal there? Is it if it's self-preservation, then I mean we aren't going to stay the same. We aren't going to continue on as usual. That's been clear over the last 50, 60 years. As we adapt to the changes of the world, who we are as a church has to adapt and change. And it's a question of what is our source? And more positively, to put a more positive spin on that comment, is our source simply a matter of changing fashions and tastes? And yes, we have to be sensitive to that. But is our sensitivity then driven by needing to be relevant and needing to, again, self-preservation, but of a, a different type of saying, we've got to be popular and got to be liked? Or is it because God's love calls us to reach out and to connect? 
and it doesn't have to be an either or. It, you know, there's going to be a both end. But again, it, it's this question of what is our motivation? And there is a both end in the sense of if we're just doing this to keep the coffers full, then that's going to backfire. That's going to mean that we're not, we're always lagging behind. And that's a thing we often talk about with, with the churches and trying to be relevant is we try and keep up, but the rest of the culture is further ahead. Now, here I am sitting and saying, you know, doing the Star Wars podcast and connecting with culture and trying to bring fresh ideas. So, again, that's also not an either or. But there's still got to be this question of, again, motivation to engage the wider world for the sake of, uh, again, popularity or for the sake of charity. What ends, of course, ends up happening to the Jedi as down the road is, uh, again, this is a prequel proper to the Skywalker saga. And, and I'll get to what I think further about that in a minute. But specifically about the Jedi, again, they're setting themselves up to fail. That vision that Elzar has at the end of failure of truly great disaster, not this weird hyperspace thing that Markian orchestrates, but tr a truly great disaster. Uh, possibly he sees Order 66. We don't know. I mean, at least we know Yarl Poof and Yoda are involved in Order 66, so he would have known them. Or he sees something else happening that we'll see in, in the High Republic era. Maybe he sees the Acolytes. Maybe he sees just an image of the rise of the Sith. We don't know. All we know is, uh, well, what we do know is what happened in the Skywalker Saga. We know Order 66. We know how the Jedi get caught up in what's happening in the moment, and not for the sake of charity, but for the sake of self-preservation, because they just assume, to the point of not even making the conscious statement that we, uh, we own the light, if what we decide must be the will of the Force. And it's only later when Luke is, is camping out on Octo that He's able to interrogate that again. So that's this fascinating thing. I do think there's more to, more for me to say on that council scene. I'm gonna give it give it another good reread and maybe do a full you know, fuller episode on that. But uh, I I was riveted. I was like, what did I just read? <laughs> um, because where it ranks in council scenes, you know, what, what do we normally see? We see uh, we see Anakin being interrogated in episode one we see them already deciding that they're going to what they're going to do in the war and of course they see them being a war council uh, with the clone wars so this is this deeper debate on the identity of the jedi and how they relate to to the galaxy as a whole to the republic and the turning points, turning point towards being 
more beholden to what the Republic wants and what the Republic is on about. Now, as to what the Chancellor is on about, that's another fascinating bit. And I touched on a bunch of it on it somewhat last time, uh, it was two weeks ago when I did my first first installment of this commentary. Lena So, it was hard to believe. And this isn't a knock, this is just a struggle. Um, I mean, one, one priest friend of mine called it, called least the whole grandness of the Republic used the word saccharine, which means, which is really the word sugar. It's very sweet. It's very, uh, very bubbly, kind of just a little bit of a parallel to the idealism of the sitcoms that Wanda Maximov is watching. Another scene on Coruscant, the, next, the final scene, I believe, in the book on, on Coruscant is in her office now. And that is an interesting contrast with the scene uh, in, in the, the plaza with the mountain, the neutral site. We have the scene in the Jedi Council. Now we have scene in the Chancellor's office, which there's no reason to think it looks necessarily different than the, the office that would later be held by a certain Dark Lord of the Sith. Except for the decor is, is not going to be very Sith-like, I would imagine. Um, and more room for, for those massive pets. But it's uh, it's fascinating. First of all, again, setting up the disgruntled nature of the Outer Rim. But there's always, again, the priest friend commented, there's always these cycles of Republic expansion and control causing the Outer Rim to be discontent, Outer Rim folks to be discontent. And in this case, it's the blockade, which has a very fascinating parallel to quarantine, stay-at-home orders, and things that we can see and know are necessary for, for the safety of all people. But in this weird predictive thing makes for uh, made for people who are... Uh, more unrest and in that in that context it makes a bit more sense and that they they weren't sure if they would get would get food and provisions but even if they she did take care of that they felt uh felt disgruntled and felt uh not just felt but so they just didn't like how these humans in the core are controlling them Key Johnston had an amazing tweet about asking you know, how many pages into Light of the Jedi can you speculate that good old Sheev looked back on this time and said, huh, blockade, outer rim, tensions, alienating them could lead to chaos and conflict very easily. <laughs> and, and my answer was, was how many pages? One page, maybe two pages. Because we see again how, how easily those sentiments can get stirred up, even by the senator who's responsible for the outer room. Anyway, fast forward to the scene where she is now opening it up. And just thinking about this now, there there's both a contrast and an eerie parallel that Lena So probably doesn't even wouldn't even consider because 
200 years in the, in the future. But the, I mean, the contrast is the Sakurai, the idealism, the all the Republic. I can even read it to you. I have it open. So this is after she's decided to reopen the, the outer rim and the blockade. Uh, and that Starlight Beacon is finally going to come online and really going to go a long way of increasing communications. Basically, almost like bringing a more stable internet fiber, uh, fiber internet to rural areas, which only happened. I mean, when I was in, you know, rural Alberta, they had just gotten fiber optic internet in 2018. So, you know, that that's a real thing they consider. And, uh, the unity that can come about with that unity that can respect diversity that can come about that all she wanted truly was for five words to live on past her term even past her life page 357 the words that had already become emblematic of her great works and so much more every time she heard them her heart lifted that was the goal one idea one sentiment she could do it. Everyone could do it. Chancellor so knew it was true. Five words. We are all the Republic. And last week I, I talked about my difficulties with it a little bit. The difficulty even of a politician saying this. And uh, in in the, the kind of the narration of her own thoughts, that this was no politician, this was someone this is the speech of the dedication of Starlight Beacon. This is no politician. This is someone who really believes it. A, a true leader, a statesperson, almost a pastor, if you will. And that's really challenging in our day and age because we know that no politician, at least right now, no one gets to where they are in high office by being that idealistic no one can become the head of government of billions of you know i don't know how many planets but how many senators but how many people basically you know this very byzantine labyrinthine system how can you do it by being that understanding and idealistic Here's the, the challenge, and it's a similar challenge that Gene Roddenberry poses, frankly, is what if? Right? What if uh, there is a time in the galaxy when that is upheld, and that is celebrated and trusted in a leader, and so that person is actually given is rewarded and given the advancement that they need in order to bring about this vision. What if? It, again, it's closer to what we see with the Federation. The ideals of it, of it at least. And that what if it's a, 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 a confederacy of worlds and a or a federation of worlds designed for exploration and mutual support Yes, mutual defense if need be, but they're not waging war. They're not defending their security by trying to expand through imperialism. 
well, through violent imperialism. The the what if, and so it, it, that is a challenge to to think of an alternative politics. And I think the a nascent form of this in our real world is I think of someone like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez who doesn't mince words, doesn't play an act. She gets on her Instagram live. At least this is how she comes across to me. And she isn't always positive or cheerful, but she isn't following a script. She's actually telling us what she really thinks and how she really feels. Um, go check out her account of uh, of her experience during the terrorist insurrection, the terrorist riot a few weeks ago. And she admits she wasn't, that she is not the center of the story. That isn't the main point of the story. She knows that her experience wasn't the main point. If something had happened to her, it would have been <laughs> because she's so honest and real and committed, genuinely committed to the well-being of as many people as she can. What if, what if someone like that can actually make it and uh, inspire others to support her and buy into, and I think of this, this is related to what I think about church ministry, buy into the these endeavors, these great works that we are all called to do together, to unite rather than divide, as I keep saying. What if? That being said, it is awfully convenient on the part of the innocent. And I'm only saying this because, again, we know how the story ends up. We know that uh, just over 200 years later, the person sitting in that chair manufactures a crisis and creates chaos throughout the whole galaxy, causes everyone to go from what we see in the, in the High Republic of trusting the Jedi and loving the Jedi to hating the Jedi and fearing them as the enemies of the Republic and enemies of the galaxy. Darth Sidious creates this very chaos that I mentioned in the Outer Rim throughout the galaxy and then purports himself to be the solution to it. And I don't think Lena so thinks that. I don't think that's her motivation. But it, it it's awfully convenient. <laughs> and it, it, I can't help but see the parallel there to, uh, you know, the, the, between the great works of Lena So's Republic expansion and presence in the Outer Rim being a, a colonial imperialism through soft power. But one that, again, I hope Claudia Gray, and I do think Claudia Gray starts too, and Daniel Jose Older and Justina Ireland especially, start to really interrogate and say, yeah, this was already starting to go south. Because at some point, unity has to be organic. It can't be a great work from a cushy office at Capitol. It actually has to be diverse and diffuse people coming together 
uniting because they see common humanity. And that's you know, not what Lena So is really, you know, not just common humanity, you know, common sentience. I mean, this is Star Wars. In, in our world, common humanity, yes. <laughs> but that's not what Lena So is doing. I mean, she maybe is riding a wave of prosperity and riding a wave of people wanting to unite, wanting to go to Starlight Beacon and experience all these different cultures and uh, locations and climates and histories. But it, if there's a, yeah, there's an underbelly that again, I'll be interested to see now that I've, now that I'm satisfied with them showing the positive. A reminder that this is a prequel proper to the Skywalker saga. I'm going to keep saying that, especially when I see it be confirmed. An interesting note today, I, I finally got around to watching the High Republic show with Christina Ariel. Definitely go watch it. It's a great show on, on the Star Wars YouTube. 25, 23 minute show. They mentioned, I forget who, it might have been Christina mentioning that the Jedi of the High Republic, or no, it might not have been Christina, it might have been someone else, but uh, it may be kind of the, the person from Lucasfilm to answer questions. Anyway, made this great point. The Jedi of the High Republic are, you know, are all over the Outer Rim. They're present, they're forward-looking, they're engaged in what we would call, what I would call, mission. And yet, by the time of the Phantom Menace, even, they're back centered in the temple on Coruscant. And it's a connection I hadn't made made before. That we, we do see all these different temples and outposts popping up, like Elfrona, popping up throughout the galaxy, that even by by the time of the Phantom Menace, they just aren't really populated anymore. But the Jedi have somehow shrunk back to the core already. And this this geographic image of hunkering down and not necessarily hunkering down, but maybe that's that's all they have left. And I think of maybe in a way it sort of reminds me of Benedict the Sixteenth's creative minority, but it isn't. That's later on. It really is saying we're just gonna be chastened and retreat to the core, to the temple on Coruscant. Something has pushed them back. <laughs> Something has caused them to check their advance. And that is what leads to Obi-Wan in A New Hope saying, until the dark times. Jedi Knights were guardians of peace and justice throughout the galaxy until. And the Luminous, uh, the, the Project Luminous Marketing, I remember that, they made a big point of this, this until. And, uh, and I thought, until, well, yeah, until the dark times of the Empire, but that was Order 66. No, we're, we're seeing the until start right now. At least that's 
frankly my hope i think it would be interesting and a good step away from the skywalker saga that isn't so radical that we can't recognize it as star wars that that's the strategy i do think just a bit more speculating i do think they're going to move even further back in the timeline eventually but for now this is the story they're telling and i'm glad they're telling it from the point of view of the jedi you know in in the the first trilogy there the jedi are sympathetic characters even if their choices aren't ultimately correct by and large here we're seeing even the correct choices being uh, one day probably taken in the growing dark. I think we're also we're gonna, even going to start seeing it with a Jedi like Skier, who I, I can see at least they're setting up in the comic for him to fall to the, fall to the dark side, join the Nihil, who knows what. Maybe not. It'd be interesting if he just doesn't, if he's able to resist it, but um, we're seeing the story of the dark starting to creep. And on that note, I will leave it then with uh, the thought from Qui-Gon in Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice. The question of, okay, then what? Do we give up? Do we just go dark anyways? Especially that question after Order 66. And Qui-Gon says, No, we follow the light because it is the light. Then the motivation, self-preservation, or trying to win some cosmic game. No, because we're called to charity, called to connect. And show the love of God and love for each other to the world. This has been episode 72 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. You can give me a follow on Twitter at NUG485. A follow on Instagram at MNUG1138. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you. Always.